Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. And today we have Darius on with Rabbit Run Builders. Darius is building a a current high-performance house, and so I wanted to have him on to talk about his experience and challenging uh, parts and pieces that he've had in this build and tell you a little bit more about him, his target area, and what he's up to. So tell us a little bit of background story. Where'd you come from? How'd you get into building? And why are you building a high-performance small home in your front yard. Oh, boy. Okay, so, um, hi, my name is Darius, and uh, I, um, I'm building this house for my mother. Uh, we live in Brunswick, Maine, and I wanted to make it a high-performance house to keep the, uh, the energy bills down. Um, I got into building, um, I used to work in the restaurant industry, and uh, I had uh, two designer bosses down in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, George and Joanne Killeen from Al Forno Restaurant. And uh, they really started twisting me towards design and different things like that and building. Um, and then when I got here, I worked for King Cove Carpentry uh, under Bill King. And we did a lot of kitchen renovations, uh, additions, and uh, other uh, renovations as well. And, and we built a garage together. Um, and I just wanted to, it's a, it's a great market to be in right now as a contractor, carpenter, there's a lot of work. So, um, we wanted to keep, keep going with it. So I figured the best way to get my first house is to pay for it myself. (laughs) Not a bad scenario, pay for it yourself, but it also gives you the opportunity to try things that are a little bit harder to, uh, to convince a client to do. And so are there things that you've done in this build that, um, you think would have been difficult to sway uh, to sway a client to do. So in my industry, we've been talking a lot. Part of the reason why we started this podcast is to, to get people a little bit more knowledge and information on high-performance building. But are there things that you're doing on this one that you're like, oh, I think this would be a hard sell? I think the exterior insulation is still a hard sell. Um, I talked to a fellow who was looking and interested in doing something very similar that we're doing. Uh, it's an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit. Um, and, uh, he was like, oh, this is great. You know, he's from just down the road and he's like, I want to do that, but I don't want to spend, I don't want to spend too much money. Uh, so, you know, like whatever you can do in a regular house and a regular footprint and regular thing. And, and he kind of sees me going around the house multiple times with first it's the sheathing, then it's the insulation, then it's the strapping, and then finally the siding. And, you know, he can see the time and labor that goes into all those extra layers. Uh, he's not going to see the, the bills that I get or lack thereof. Uh, but um, I think it's going to be a hard sell to tell somebody, you know, we're going to be here and we're going to be doing a lot more in the insulated. These walls are going to be thicker. These, you know, we're going to have to spend more money on the, uh, the the weather the weatherproof barrier and things like that, you know, it, it's it's hard to grab them right in the stuff that they're going to get buried and they're not going to see. That's where you have to spend the most time and money. 
Yeah, unfortunately, the things that make the most sense uh, from an economic standpoint are usually the things that you can't see. So air sealing is a huge, huge, um, the lowest bang for your buck if you can at least get them on board with doing a really great air barrier and you've done a fantastic job on how you've connected everything, even from under your footing all the way up your walls um, and that system. But you're right. They don't understand the economic value, and I think that what I'm hearing from you um, and I've heard from other builders is we need to provide you a way to show them the economics of doing it, um, which is some of where I come in, and we've talked about doing a HERS rating, and so hopefully we'll do a HERS rating on this house. And if you can do a HERS rating in upfront, especially if you said somebody comes to you and says, I want to build that ADU again, you can take that information and say, yeah, it's going to take longer and it's going to be more money, but it's going to save you $400 a year. And so this is going to pay for itself in the next two or three years. And then people can really understand that value because, especially with ADUs um, and other things, uh, with smaller aging in place, people are staying in their houses. It used to be five years, then it went to seven. Now people are staying in their houses 10 years. As you're talking about a population of people who are going to be on fixed incomes, and to hear that for the next 10 years, you're going to save $400 a year if you do it this way it gives them extra money to do other things or to pay for those improvements. And what you're then also not talking to them about is uh, the health and indoor air quality of that house because the other crisis and you, everybody on the podcast hears me talk about this all the time. We have, uh, you know, carbon problem that we need to deal with with climate change, but we also have a healthcare industry problem. And um, if we can provide healthy indoor air quality and healthy spaces, then that's going to have a huge impact on the overall health of our population. And so that's not something that's easily quantifiable for you to say, hey, look, we built this really tight. We built this with extra insulation. We're providing fresh air that we're also filtering. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this year the pollen was awful and a lot of people had allergies um, and if you're you know getting into some of that aging you kind that those people then have asthma and so allergies and asthma end up you know being a major issue and I say well we're providing fresh air to the interior of our space with a HEPA filter that's filtering all this out the air inside my home is healthier than the air outside of your home so yeah that's a big deal and and all of the stuff that you were mentioning about the universal design, the aging in place, you know, my mother's going into this home and, uh, you know, we had to think about a wheelchair ramp. Does she need one right now? No. Uh, you know, the old 710 stairs will do her, but she could need it in the future. And we want her to be comfortable here the whole time. And I don't want to have to have this emergency, let's get everybody together and build a wheelchair ramp. I want to design it into it in the beginning. Um, same thing goes with uh, getting in and out of the shower. And also the the air filtration is is, is huge, um, you know, because my mother already has uh, like a COPD thing going on, and you know she went to go visit my sister in the DC area, uh, and uh, she came back with like this like whooping cough kind of thing going on, and we think it's just because of the moisture content, potential mold in the house that she was in. They you know they did want to just slap the finished basement up together. So who knows what the heck she's breathing in if she goes downstairs to to sleep in their basement. Uh, but the other thing I, I I wanted to add to that is I've heard you say before the uh, 
would you like me to build you an obsolete house? That's the one I'm going to try out on the next person that <laughs> I talk to. So it was like, yeah, no problem. We'll build you a two by six with fiberglass if you would like me to build you something that's already obsolete. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it is a tough sell because the one thing that you can't get past is the budget, you know. And if they have a budget and they said, I come to you with this budget, you got you to gotta work with it somehow. They have to be able to give and you have to be able to, to fit it in there somehow or make yeah. it work or the job's not going to happen. And I think the hardest part about that is people, when they think about homes, they, you know, they think, oh, HGTV, and I watch these beautiful things. And unfortunately, those are the things that are easy to change after the fact and add zero value to actually living in the space. And so it, it has been a hard sell, and people do have a fixed budget, and everything's going to cost money. I mean, even just getting your plumber to show up to put a bathroom in is going to cost you money. So we, we have to be respective of people's budgets, but we also want to stop building, you know, 4,000 square foot McMansions with fiberglass insulation in them that every year costs two, three, four, five thousand dollars a year to heat with fuel oil because, of course, the state of Maine still heats with fuel oil, which is kind of this crazy idea. But there can be ways to be really cost effective. If you're building a new house and you're putting a standard heating system in, you might be talking thirty-five thousand dollars for a heating system. If we can build a higher performance house, we can put ventilation and heat pumps in for half that cost. So we can spend the extra money in the building envelope and then you have a better house. Sometimes you have to sacrifice square footage, but as an architect and you liking design, um, smaller square footage doesn't necessarily mean you don't have usable space. Uh, and people think smaller square footage just means smaller. There's, <laughs> this isn't Texas. Bigger isn't better. Um, but everything does need to have a place. And we have stuff. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be a minimalist because nobody really lives that way. I mean, some people do. But not a lot of people live that way. But um, if you listen to the podcast last week with Corinne with Tiny Homes of Maine, it's just an extra thought process where you, you go to Target and you look at all the beautiful things and you go, wait, is there a place to put this in my house? And so you don't necessarily need it. You just kind of want it. So we've gotten to this point where we build more stuff so we can have more stuff and then you have more stuff and then that's stressful because you have more stuff. And so um, I'm personally in the anti-basement <laughs> <laughs> in the anti-basement clan. I don't think that everybody in Maine needs a reverse swimming pool. Um, but there is a lot to to be said for, for what you're saying about people coming to you with a budget. And there are going to be people who build what they want because that's what they want. And they're not going to want to hear it. But I think that... They're still going to find somebody to build what they want to build if they're, if they're stuck on it. But, yeah. But I definitely... I think, you know, from what I've seen so far in this build, I, I can see where it's going and I can see that it's going to be helpful. Um, and I do care about <clears throat> burning fossil fuels and things like that. It's, you know, we're at a place now where we should be looking to try to curb it. You know, I, I'm not going to get into the whole how much time do we have left, what exactly should we do, but, you know, we should be slowing it down. We should be doing our best to say, you know, is there another way to do this? Yeah, yeah, I can do it like this, and then my operational CO2 goes way down, you know, and, and so we're doing everything electric, no combustibles, we're doing uh, 
you know, in, in the hopes that at the end of the project I might have enough to put the solar panels in. But that is, uh, you know, whether or not it's this phase or the next phase, the solar panels will go in. But if you're at the point where it's ready for solar panels, then you're already well above the game. You know, you, you've planned for it, you've reduced the amount of consumption so you can reduce the number of solar panels that you need to put on. And that's great. And again, that comes back to phasing and budgets like solar panels in a year or two after you've saved the money for solar panels because you build a really efficient house is the best way to do it. You know, putting in granite countertops five years down the road, super easy to take out a countertop, put in a new countertop. Um, you know, but if you put in a granite countertop and you put fiberglass insulation in your walls, I can't help you. <laughs> I can never make that more efficient. Like yeah. you're just sort of stuck with that. And some of the things that people love about Maine is that we have this older housing stock that's been here forever and it was well built and well maintained. But they also had the back 40 and they cut down wood and they didn't care if they froze and they all wore extra sweatshirts and we don't build that way. But hoping that the, this next generation of high performance homes is going in the direction of it's going to be here for a hundred years. It's going to save you money. That your solar panel system is going to pay for itself in seven years and you're going to have, you know, 20 years of free power and, and, you know, not having that utility or if you're grid tied that you pay, you know, your $11 a month to CMP to be connected to the grid and you produce power for them in the summertime and they give it back to you in, in the winter as, as we're moving away from fossil fuels. Uh, it's, it's kind of a huge step in the right direction and and you talking about it, it's just something that just keeps coming up is that a couple of us need to get together and build an Airbnb that's a high-performance house and let people stay in it for, you know, a week or whatever so they can see the difference of living in a high-performance house. Both a well-designed house where the light quality, you know, comes into the space and it feels really nice, but the, the fresh air quality and the comfort of sitting next to a triple-pane window that isn't as cold in the wintertime. You right. know, stay here in February when, like... Oh, that was nice. The heat pump kicked on for a minute or two, but it stayed warm the rest of the time. And that's the value that I think hasn't been explained enough. Um, is there anything on this project that you've done that you were like, that was really hard? <laughs> oh, geez. I guess, I guess what it comes down to it, and that's why I'm glad I have uh, Tom Berry here to help me out on this, but uh, it, it, it's helpful um, to have somebody that's seen it before get into the detail of the wall systems. And again, I, uh, this one was designed by uh, Steve Hoffman Architects, and uh, it, it was just, it was great, but we did some modern modern takes on some things. So like, we all had to have these little powwows together and we was like, okay, we're about to do this now. So what exactly are we doing right here? Okay, yeah, when this comes together, that's gonna have to be in front, that's gonna have to be behind, then the roofer's gonna come over it with his drip edge and then this has gotta be this. Should we do anything to help save it? Well, maybe we should put a little bit of something on there just in case, because it's gonna take extra water, it's gonna take extra this. So we are trying to, you know, when we get to that detail point, um, of like you know your your roof edges and things like that that's uh, and we were just talking about we did um and i, I hope i'm pronouncing it right but the shusugiban on the uh exterior window extent uh, uh jam extensions and we did uh 
like a raw linseed oil and then baked it back on with another pass with the fire and we you know it's rained a bunch and we like how it's beating up and we like what it's doing so the just the changing the properties of the same wood that we're siding the house with which was uh, uh eastern white cedar um from dewey's lumber uh right, right here in liberty maine um but we're doing we're doing that um and changing the properties with fire and a little bit of linseed oil. And because these things are gonna get so pounded with water and their horizontal surfaces rather than the vertical surfaces, we're like, okay, let's let's take a minute, think about it and, and treat it if necessary or do something to make sure that it lasts a little bit longer. It doesn't rot and all the parts and pieces come together, so. You actually hit on two of my hot buttons right there. <laughs> the first one was team and building a, a, a great team and, you know, like you said, having somebody who's seen it before or done it before or working with performance building supply and having Steve come out and be like, this is how we're going to tape the windows or Ken from Sega Tapes coming out or one of the guys from 475 that says, this is how you install this material or you call them up and you're like, we're going to put Gutex on here. And the guy at 475 says, well, you know, you need to prime those window openings. You're like, what? It doesn't say anything about priming the window openings. Um, so, so having a team is huge. But the other hot button that you that you made come up in my mind was, I think that all homeowners think that what you just described is what the contractor does, and it's the exception, not the rule. Is that the contractor goes that extra level and thinks through. How do all these parts go together? How's this design detail? What's going to make this last longer? How do I really seal this well? How do I keep the water out? And unfortunately, in the state of Maine, we don't have contractor licensing. We have people who are like, well, whatever, it'll stand up this way. In theory, we hope that um, poorly code built things are not going to have moisture issues and that we've at least figured out how to keep water outside of a structure. But those details don't always come together and somebody hasn't really thought that through very hard. And so, um, you know, that's a huge thing that we need to kind of impart on um, a homeowner is that having the right builder who's going to think about all those parts and pieces is absolutely critical, especially in high performance buildings, because you are doing something that's maybe a little outside of the norm. But I think what makes high performance buildings really interesting, and, and I don't know if Mike said this on the podcast um, or not, but he said it to me recently, is, you know, part of the reason why some builders get into high performance design is like, it's just not cool enough to just know how to build. It has to be that next level of interest. Like, okay, I figured out how to build, and you know, maybe I finished how to do finished carpentry really well or something. Like, what am I going to learn now? Like, what's the next thing? Um, and so I love that about pretty much all the high performance building um professionals that I've worked with are like, oh, this is a cool puzzle. How does this work? How does this go together? Like, what are we trying to do here? And that's the, the most fascinating part about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, One of the things we, we keep mentioning to ourselves is that, well, what do you got going for us? Well, we're two adult people that give a damn. You know, like that's at least one thing going for us is we're two adult people that give a damn. We're gonna try to try here. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do our best and that was Tom's line, the trying to try, you know, like don't just skip over it and say uh, you know what, I, I don't know. Let's get this one together and do it on the next one. Well, no, let's just take five seconds, stop, you know, see if we can't fix it with something, you know. Just see if you can make it work. And uh, and not only giving a damn as far as good workmanship and wanting a good product at the end, but also 
the planet, um, you know, your future. I have uh, a daughter and a, and a son on the way, and, and we're going to give these things to them, I hope, and, and uh, I'd like them to be good um, and not just something that we did because, we, you know, we just needed it real quick. You know, we, we wanted to make it work. But that we thought through it and we said, you know, this is something, you know, going forward that other people can model and do on their own. And it would be helpful uh, in a community level and, in a you know, planet uh, saving kind of way instead of destroying kind of way. Yeah. And, and you did mention, you know, there are some things like you went around the building four times. So you got all the layers and parts and pieces. And, uh, you know, honestly, that... Uh, that's always a struggle to get people to like, this takes time, but good things should take longer and they should be better. And in the upfront, they should cost more. They should save you more, but they should cost more. It's sort of, um, you know, I've got a lot of hot buttons that I like to talk about with the climate. And one of them is, um, you know, the clothing industry. Fast fashion should just not be a thing. We need to stop doing that. And part of the um, you know, plastics and getting away from plastics, uh, you know, the, there's not actually that much recycled plastic out there because people aren't recycling. So we have all this plastic and nobody's recycling it. And then these bottle factories want to use the recycled plastic to make more plastic bottles. So you can essentially recycle a plastic bottle into a new plastic bottle. But the fashion industry is trying to make clothing out of recycled plastic bottles. There's not enough recycled plastic because nobody's recycling. And you can upcycle a piece of fabric that's been used with 10% plastic bottles, where a plastic bottle can be turned into another plastic bottle. A plastic bottle that got turned into a piece of clothing cannot be turned back into a plastic bottle. Yeah. So for some reason, we're just not thinking through all the things that are sustainable about you know our country and, and how we do that. And so the fact that you've thought about the materials and what's a better material and you know again going back to my whole nobody should have basements thing the concrete is nine percent of the world's carbon emissions because we just make so much concrete so how do we use less concrete how do we build less basements how do we build foundations differently how do we use it responsibly where we have to use it you know in commercial buildings and things like that and not use it in other places that we don't. And if we don't do something about climate change in the next 10 years, we're really going to have a problem. And so I think that people with young kids like yourself are starting to think about, well, what, what am I leaving my kid? Like maybe it's not an issue for, um, you know, the people in Maine who've been doing it this way for 25 years because they're moving towards retirement in the next 10 years don't have that big of an effect on them. But our generation who's building for the next generation, we do have a big impact. And so that's really where I like to push, you know, people to go is let's think about what goes into this, you know, and, and how we're doing it. So I appreciate the fact that you guys are attempting to do that. So no, it's, it's, it's also very important for, for, you know, uh, any laborer, you know, if you know that you're working towards something that's greater than you, then it's helpful. You know, if I can be done and I'd be exhausted and have a terrible day and I'm like, I'm so sick of this strapping and, and, and every time I drive a six inch screw through the sheathing and I miss the stud, I'm just going to pull my hair out, you know, that kind of thing. You know, if you have a rough day and you're still like, there's a reason I'm doing this. There's a reason why we're struggling through this, whether or not 
it, it's 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 something bigger than you. Yeah. yeah, you you brought up another point uh, that I want to highlight there, which is you know important for the laborers is we used a lot of material that was really bad for a long time. It was sort of this joke where asbestos was a great material. It's really bad for you, and all those guys that put all the asbestos in are taking it all out now, and they all have had such health problems because of that. You know, formaldehyde. It's terrible, and so they were working with it and heavily exposed to it and it's come around that it's you know this major problem but we also spend 90 percent of our time indoors so all those products are in your house too and so yeah. what are you doing in dealing with them and and living with them and well, it's absolutely real like the safety on the job site what you're breathing in you know safety harnesses on the roof you know like yeah. we, we somebody in my uh, my mother's side of the family died from asbestos you yeah, know, and it's just it's a real thing, you know. It's, so you got to start thinking about, you know, let, let let's do it the right way and make it uh, not the not the sustainable is a very uh, you know yeah. a hot word right now, but sustainable for the people that are putting them together. Sure, live to build another day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So anyway, we could probably talk all day long, and as you can see, podcasting is fun. You just conversation, but I always end the podcast with, I was very you don't know what you don't know. So in this build, what's the one thing where you thought, oh, this is how this is going to be, and it was absolutely not? Oy, oy, oy. Um, <clears throat> I have to say that I'm, I'm going to, it might not answer your question specifically, but I'm going to have to say that the, the constant push and pull of all the different, there's a lot of... Um, mechanisms you know a house is a living breathing thing you know or we're not breathing people it's are a, breathing it's, it's a, a it's system a, it's a system thank you um okay. but it is hard for me going through this the first time to get everybody's everybody's smart you know you're very intelligent so is steve from performance building supply so is john from casco bay insulation and everybody's got a slight different take on it and i love all of everybody the same and I'm sitting here trying to take it all in and say okay well in that experience over there that didn't work out and this one did and then in that experience somebody did that and they hated it or they loved it or they'll never do that again or per manufacturer's instructions or that was last year's model but this year's model has totally fixed that you know so there's a lot to think about and even when you're totally up on everything and you're downstairs researching until 11 and 12 o'clock at night and you got your answer and you pull it up and you're like next day 8 a.m. you're like here's what we're doing somebody's like what why no nobody's doing that anymore and you're like oh my goodness so there is a little bit of I didn't know how even though I thought I knew I didn't know how intricate all these things could be how the interplay between the different systems were gonna be and also at the end of the day you have to make a decision somewhere and as long as you've got good people around you a good team then you're not going to you're not going to do something bad you're not going to do something where you've destroyed your project but you will have to make a decision and sometimes one or two of your good team members who are very smart intelligent people may say 
I wouldn't have done that, but try this next time. And that's that's going to be the way you're going to have to do it until until this industry, you know, kind of has a has a coming together and things start to. But it is, you know, there's a lot going on. I think that's a very valid point. And if you've ever looked at any green building advisor, you will realize that. Oh yeah, those forms are all are of the energies. All of the energy nerds in the world will never ever agree on on how to do it. And I think, um, from my perspective, the most important part of it is for you to understand the science behind it. So whichever decision you go with, there's always a valid reason for different ways to do things. And, you know, like everything, uh, occasionally you'll have a product like asbestos. It was great. It worked really well until they realized it wasn't good for you. You're, we're going to have products. We're going to have systems where we think it's great. And 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road when it's tested, it wasn't what people thought or didn't hold up the way that it was supposed to or didn't bleed the vapor out of it. And I think the understanding of the science behind building science, you know, how does moisture move through a system? You know, what levels of humidity do I have to keep in this? What is the, you know, difference between this type of insulation and this air barrier and how those things work together, I think is the most critical point because we're never all going to agree on the same thing for sure. And some of us have tried every which way, like we're going to try this this time, or we're going to try that next time, you know, and so there's always going to be a different way to do it. So I agree, you're going to have to decide at some point that this is just what you're doing. Um, and take advice from, you know, where you can, but understanding the, the, the science behind why it works is really the most critical point, not how you do it or how you achieve that method. And I think that's where Pretty Good House is, is trying to go, which is here are some of the things that you need to know and that you need to consider when you're doing this. So no matter what you do, you take it into, and you were trying to describe it, we describe it as house as a system. Know how all the parts and pieces might relate to the other parts and pieces. And right. that is really the most important part about it. So I appreciate that you kind of said, oh, man, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we thought even, we even knew this. But even when I thought of everything, there was a couple of things, were things that I didn't think about. <laughs> and that's, uh, I say, even after being in business for 10 years, I learned something new on every project. There's always a new way to do something. There's always a different way. There's always... Um, it comes back to team members. Somebody shows up on your team. They're like, "Oh, hey, I did it this way," and you're like, "Wow, well, I wish I would have thought of that." You yeah, know. And I think you uh, you also convinced me. I I wasn't planning on it, but I think I'm gonna put those monitoring systems in because it just it's too curious now. I'm just I want to see what's going on. I want to see. Oh yeah, okay. I I. I I, dug, I buried this little thing in my wall system, and I can see when the humidity level rises in my wall system, and what's going on, and where water or vapor is headed. You know, I I, I want to see it. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, and I think that that's the one thing that people don't really do after the fact is, you know, I can do a HERS rating on a house, and I can use your projected um, energy usage, and I can give you an idea of how all these parts and systems go together, but if you don't commission the system and then monitor it, you don't know if it actually worked. Like, how much energy did I use? You know, how much electric did the heat pump pull off of the solar panels? Were the, was there enough solar panels um, on here that was running this house. What was the carbon monoxide? Is the 
HRV actually running? And <laughs> is it actually providing fresh air? Like, oh, oops, the office where I spend 12 hours a day in here doing this drafting work, the carbon dioxide levels are super high because that vent in here maybe isn't. So there's no way to know that if you don't monitor it. And there's no way to know if your wall system is getting wet if, they're, if you're not monitoring it and you don't want to find out 10 years down the road that it was getting wet and now it's rotten. So um, I am a big proponent for monitoring because, I mean, how do you actually know and how do I, it's the same with the energy code in Maine. I really hope they're not going to strike doing a blower door test this time because you need to know what your actual air infiltration is going to be. So anyway, we could talk all day. So I'm going to end the podcast here. Thank you for coming on. Thank I appreciate it. Um, I will put in the show notes uh, how you can get in contact with Darius, especially if you're in uh, the Brunswick area. I don't know exactly what your target area is, but I'll give you a little bit more information on him, their website, how you can get in contact with him. And if you have more questions, you know, always reach out. If you're enjoying the podcast, reach out and leave us a comment here on Apple iTunes or send me an email, emily at matramarch.com. And if you haven't done it yet, pop over to the website and join our mailing list. We usually send out an update on what was uh, one of the most popular or some of the most popular podcasts from the last month or so, and also lots of links to some great articles uh, written by other building science professionals about more technical things. So here on the podcast, sometimes it's technical, sometimes it's just a lot of fun, and sometimes it is all about female entrepreneurship. So thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy it. Share it with your friends, leave us a comment, leave us a review, or feel free to reach out if there's something you'd like to hear about. Mm -hmm.